A reading from Jonah chapter 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid fare and got onto the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the sea, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. And there was a great tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break apart. And the mariners were afraid and they called out to their gods. And they took the cargo on the ship and threw it into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship, lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will have a thought of us that we may not perish. Now the men said to one another, Let us cast lots that we may know of whom this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Of whom has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? Who are your people? And Jonah said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this you've done? Because they knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down. For the sea had grown more and more tempestuous. But nevertheless, they continued to row hard for dry land, but they could not because the sea was more and more tempestuous. Therefore, the men called out to the Lord, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not lay on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done according to your will. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they made an offering to the Lord, and they took vows. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We begin a series on Jonah today throughout the rest of Lent. The question is, why are we looking at Jonah? Jonah is the story of someone who does almost everything wrong, kind of like Canadian Olympic hockey this year. (laughs) I mean, it was one thing for the Canadian women's hockey team to lose to the U.S. I mean, I was... Trying to be excited about that, yay. Um, <laughs> but for the men to lose to Germany, I mean, do they even have hockey in Germany? <laughs> Jonah is a story of someone who does almost everything wrong. Why are we looking at Jonah then? Well, Jonah, like Jonah, The Lord is calling each of us into mission. Like Jonah, the Lord is calling each of us 
into mission. At Christ Church, we are committed to deploying disciples in mission more and more in the next two years than we ever have before. We need to look at the story of Jonah. Look at verse one, Jonah chapter one. Verse one, now the word of the Lord came. Never miss this. The first actor in mission is always the Lord God. The word of the Lord came. Jonah didn't ask for the word to come. No one was praying for the word to come. It simply comes. The word comes. It is God's initiative. God chooses to speak to Jonah. But it goes on to say that his name is Jonah. Don't miss his name. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah means dove. And and for Hebrew people, their names really meant something, right? And so to call Jonah dove, what does that mean? Well, go with me on this. In Song of Songs, that wonderful love poem, which is both a celebration of marriage, but also a celebration of Jesus' bridal commitments to his church, we read in Song of Songs chapter 2, verse 14, of the beloved, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. The dove in Song of Songs is the beloved. And so if you can go there with me, Jonah is the Lord's beloved. Right at the beginning, we see not only is he chosen by the Lord, but this is a beloved of the Lord. And again, this is a picture of Israel. Israel is the Lord's beloved. But like Israel, Jonah, even when he goes astray, continues to be the Lord's beloved. He continues to be the Lord's chosen. We read in verse 2, the mission. Arise, go to Nineveh. We'll talk more about Nineveh in a couple weeks, about this city that would become the capital of Assyria, a sworn enemy, ultimately, of Israel. And yet he's called to go there and preach a word of rebuke, a word of repentance, a word of judgment against Nineveh. The Lord has called his beloved. He sent his chosen beloved one to Nineveh. But here's what's amazing. Those are the first two verses of the book. So far, so good, right? Everything from verse 3 to the end of the book is a colossal failure on Jonah's part. Everything from this point forward, verse 3 on, is a train wreck, or better, a shipwreck. And in this, we find encouragement. Jonah the loser, Jonah the failure, Jonah the reluctant prophet, we find incredible encouragement. As Philip Cray says, he says, Jonah does nearly everything wrong and gets into the deepest trouble imaginable, yet all the while, he remains the Lord's beloved and chosen one. Not to mention, one of the most successful prophets in the whole Bible. Jonah is Israel, but Jonah is also us, and we need Jonah's story. Do you hear the gospel in this already? We haven't even begun, and here is the gospel. In the midst of our failures, in the midst of our inabilities, we are still the Lord's beloved, we are still the Lord's chosen, and he may still accomplish things through us. Why are we looking at Jonah? 
Because in Jonah's story, we find incredible hope as totally inadequate missionaries. Here's the hope. We're looking at just 16 verses today. In 16 verses, we see almost the whole story. We, saw, we see the missional call, first of all, is rejected. In just 16 verses, the missional call is rejected. But then we also see that this missional call from the Lord is relentless. Not only does Jonah reject the call, the Lord is relentless in this call. And not only is Jonah rejecting this, not only is the Lord relentless with this call, but we actually see the call realized, at least in part. We see success in the mission, even in these first 16 verses. First, the missional call is rejected. Verse 3, this is where it all begins to go bad. The Lord's called him to Nineveh. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa, found a large ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Do you hear that three times? One verse, Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Try that three times. <laughs> the point in one verse is not Nineveh. In fact, if you want to be really clear here, Nineveh, is to the east. Tarshish is to the west. Jonah is literally going in the opposite direction from where he has been called to go to. You could not in one verse more clearly describe a total prophet's rejection of the Lord's call. But why is he rejecting it? Well, in chapter four, we're going to find out that Jonah has a bit of an issue with the Gentiles around him. Chapter four, verse two and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We're going to look more at that in chapter 4. This idea that Jonah actually is a problem with the Lord's mercy. He doesn't want to go because he doesn't want to see mercy fall on the heads of this sworn enemy of Israel. But I think it's more than just that here at the beginning. I think it's fear. Fear comes up again and again and again in this text. As one commentator says, sending an Israelite to preach in Nineveh in the 8th century BC is a little like sending a Jew to preach in Berlin in the 1930s. This is not safe. It is not safe for him to go with this message. He flees because he hates the Gentiles and doesn't want to bring this message of mercy. But he also flees because he's afraid. It's interesting though, can Jonah really expect to escape from the presence of the Lord? I mean, what's he thinking? Psalm 139, right, says these exact words. Psalm 139 verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Next week in chapter two, Jonah is effectively gonna go to Sheol in the belly of the whale. But God is with him. How can he believe that somehow he's gonna be able to escape from the presence of the Lord? It seems foolish. And yet we do it all the time. For those of us who are believers, we believe that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipresent, omnipotent, 
And yet we still believe somehow that we can hide our intentions and our motives and our actions from God. We do it all the time. We act as if we can hide our stuff from God. Jonah's not anything different than us. He wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. That's impossible, but he's going to try it anyway. Jonah rejects the Lord's call to mission. And so often you and I do the same thing. But see, Jonah doesn't just reject this call. Thanks be to God, the Lord is relentless in this call. Verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. I thank God as I look back over my life retrospectively that the Lord is relentless. That he's not just going to play to my immediate response to things. That he recognizes how unfaithful, how thick-headed I can be. That he keeps coming back with the same call again and again and again in my life. Because often I really am rather thick. I was uh, in England just this last week on my annual retreat. Thank you for letting me go for a week. I need it once a year. Just sit quietly in a monastery and listen to the Lord. It recharges me for the full year. And so I thank you for that retreat. But while I was there, I did something twice that I've never done once before. I lost my cell phone twice. I lost my cell phone in the cab on the way to the airport and then miraculously got it back before I flew. And then I lost my cell phone on the Heathrow Express train and again miraculously got it back with about five minutes later. Twice I lost my cell phone. Now, in one sense, I was saying, I think, okay, the Lord is really going to bless this trip supernatural activity. But on the other side, I think the Lord was trying to say something to me about my cell phone. Pay attention, Paul. I'm going to be relentless in this. Your cell phone will be a problem at a monastery. Put it away. Put it in a drawer. Listen to me. The relentless nature of God in his call to mission, I think is a huge sign of grace for us. Oftentimes in our lives, I hear this all the time from people, the worry is, did I somehow miss the opportunity? Or, excuse the pun, did I miss the boat? Like, God called me to this, but I was unfaithful, and is that opportunity now gone? The Lord has changed his mind and moved away from me in this. This relentless nature of the, God, of the Lord's call to mission is incredibly encouraging. Jonah is rather thick, in uh, verse 5, uh, we read that as the mariners are throwing the cargo off the deck to make the ship lighter, Jonah's gone into the ship and has laid down and is snoring. Literally, that's what it means. He's snoring. Uh, it says that he was fast asleep. This is the same language of being fast asleep that the Lord used when he put Adam to sleep to take the rib out of Adam and fashion Eve. I really hope it was a deep sleep for Adam, right? It's like a surgical sleep. Jonah is absolutely passed out and snoring in the midst of this storm. And I think part of it is meant to indicate to us just how obtuse and blind and inattentive Jonah is. He's just not seeing it. 
Not only is he unfaithful and reluctant, he's, he's missing it. He's missing the signs. He's being thick in the head. Verse 6 says the pagan captain, the Gentile pagan captain has to wake Jonah up. The Gentile who doesn't know the Lord wakes up the prophet of the Lord and says, what are you doing? Arise. Interesting. The Gentile pagan captain uses the exact same word that the Lord spoke to Jonah in verse 2. Arise. He's echoing that same word. It's, it's already an indication of the theme of this book. That you will find Gentiles to be more responsive to the Lord than this prophet. They are so ready to be responsive. But he said, wake up, call on your God. Call on your God that we might not be destroyed. God is relentless with us. God is relentless because we don't always listen. When Monica and I were uh, first dating, I had a sense of call on my life beginning to grow. And one day I shared with her, you know, early on when we were dating, I said, you know, I think maybe, maybe the Lord's calling me into pastoral ministry. And Monica said, and I quote, there is no way I will ever be a pastor's wife. <laughs> and so I stuffed it. I was like, Lord, you put this woman in my life who I love, uh, I guess this isn't gonna happen. So I kept stuffing this sense of call. We were married only three months and Monica says to me, so when are you gonna you know, sign up to go to seminary to become a pastor? And I said, Hang on here. <laughs> Three years ago, you said there was no way you were ever going to be a pastor's wife. That has run through my head again and again every time the sense of call has been on me. And she said, I don't remember ever saying that. <laughs> the Lord is relentless. He's relentless in his call on our lives. Thanks be to God, he's relentless. He's relentless with Jonah and he's relentless with you and me. But see, in these 16 verses, not only have we seen already Jonah reject this call, not only have we seen the Lord be relentless in this call, but now we actually see this missional call realized, at least in part, right? Jonah was sent to bring judgment, a call to repentance on a pagan nation. And all of a sudden, Within 16 verses, you've got a ship full of pagans who have turned to the Lord personally. You see, Jonah barely opens his mouth, and we have pagans converting. Look at verse 9. First time Jonah speaks, it's the first word out of Jonah's mouth. He says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Now, fear here is used throughout the book as faith, awe, reverence. I fear the Lord. My faith is in the Lord. But he says the Lord. In, in the Hebrew here, it's, it's Adonai, but Adonai, the Lord, is used to be a more respectful way of describing the actual personal name of God, Yahweh. This is the name that Moses received from the Lord, from Yahweh, in the burning bush when he said, if I go to Israel and say, you know, the Lord has sent me, what you know, what name am I going to use? How are they going to know that I really know you? And the Lord says from the burning bush, I am who I am, or maybe even better translation, I will be who I will be. 
And the best way we can understand that name is the name Yahweh, the personal name of God. And so every time in your Bible you see the word the Lord and the Lord is capital letters, it means this is the personal name of God. This is Yahweh. He says, I'm a Hebrew, I fear, I believe in Yahweh. He gives the name of his God. And only a few verses later in verse 14, we find the first prayer in this book. And the first prayer is not offered by the prophet. The first prayer in this book is offered by the pagan mariners. Verse 14, they say, they call out to the Lord, Yahweh, O Lord, personal name of God, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're praying to the Lord. And then verse 16 Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They believed the Lord is what that verse means. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. And I love they make vows because it means this is not, you know, a I'm in the middle of a sea storm moment. Like I'll believe in you for right now, but then once I get out of it, I'm going to change my mind. Vow implies they stuck with it. This is a full conversion. These men know the Lord, Yahweh, and they're sticking with him. In 16 verses, we see this missional call realized. A ship full of pagans know the Lord in a personal way. They're praying to him. They're making vows to him. But how did this conversion happen with a prophet as unfaithful as Jonah? How did this conversion happen with a prophet as unfaithful as Jonah? Because something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. You see, there is more at work in this story than meets the eye. Because this whole story, like the whole Bible, is not about Jonah. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It all points to him. It all prefigures and anticipates him. In Matthew chapter 12, there's a strange moment because Jonah's such a strange prophet. Why would Jesus self-identify with Jonah? He, Jesus sort of puts his ministry in the, in the view of Jonah's ministry. He attaches his ministry to Jonah's. When he says in verse 39, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah prefigures Christ, and he does it totally imperfectly. Right? Jonah prefiguring Jesus is kind of like King David prefiguring Jesus, right? Full of imperfections. Jonah in a big way, imperfect. And yet, the fact that he is prefiguring Jesus, the fact that Jonah's life ultimately points to the life of Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, this is how pagans get converted. I mean, we cannot read verse 12 and verse 15 and not hear the gospel. 
What are we to do to you, verse 11 says, so the sea may quiet for us. And what does Jonah say? Imperfect, broken Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. It's his most Christ-like moment in the entire book. Cast me away so that you don't have to die. Throw me into the depths of the sea. He's not anticipating a great fish to swallow him at this point. He's assuming he's going to die. Throw me into the sea that you may live. Verse 15, so they picked Jonah up, hurled him into the sea, and the storm ceased its raging. Do we not see the gospel? Imperfectly as he's modeling it, he is pointing to Christ. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, yet pagans, yet lost, Christ died for us. You see, what changes lives, what realizes the mission is not you or me. That's the point of Jonah. What gets the mission done, what gets the mission realized, what gets the mission accomplished is not you or I. It is Christ who is in the midst of us. It is God who is on mission, seeking the lost. As our lives, imperfect as they are, point to Christ, there is power in that mission. This, the power of the cross, we sing every Easter. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. On that ship, despite his reluctance, something greater than Jonah is there. In our ministry, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, as we go out in mission, something greater then Jonah is there. Christ stands among his people. Why are we looking at Jonah? Because in Jonah's story, we find incredible hope as inadequate missionaries. Here's the hope that in 16 verses, we've already seen the missional call rejected. We've seen the missional call relentless from the Lord. And we've seen the missional call even realized in parts As I think of Jonah's story, as I think of being a reluctant missionary, as I think of all the reasons we can come up with why we will not say yes to the Lord's calling, I think of the story of Albert McMakin. Albert McMakin, the 24-year-old new Christian, he was determined that he could be on mission. And so there was a guest preacher coming to town, and he tried to invite his friends And one friend really resisted. He was a farmer's son, good-looking, lots of girlfriends, but just not interested. McMakin said, look, will you just drive the van? The guy said, okay, I'll drive the van, but I'm not particularly keen to come in, but I'll drive the van. But once the event started, this young farmer's son made sure he stood close enough so he could hear the preaching. And he was struck. He went back every night driving the van, listening again and again. 
And that week he gave his life to Jesus. And since that day, that man has preached to more people than anyone in history. It's estimated 2.2 billion people, and that's billion with a B. He bailed out Martin Luther King Jr. from a Birmingham jail. He counseled presidents. And most of all, the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham lived a life of incredible Christian integrity before the world. And this week he went to be with the Lord. Here's the point of the story. We can't all be Billy Grahams, but we can all be Albert McMakins. Do you hear the Lord? Do you hear his call? Arise. Go. Oh, Lord, but how can I go? Because something greater than Jonah is here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.